Hello, Yael. Thank you for the invitation. I'm happy to be here. <laughs> Thank you for joining me in this Effective Conversation podcast. Um, and welcome. Waya, your name is very interesting. <laughs> mm, thank you. Is, I get that is, a lot. Is it is it is it from native name? Uh, yeah, yeah. So it's uh, Cherokee, Cherokee background. Cherokee, and it's wolf, right? I was googling. Yes. Yeah, Wahia means wolf. My full nice. name is Wahia Ada Deganigoa Aon, and it means young wolf sings in the time of change. It gives me something to live up to. Wow. Wow. Amazing. <laughs> And did something you changed? You had a different name before? No, no, that's my birth name. So that's that's the second most common question I get after how do I pronounce your name? Um, and I think uh -huh. <laughs> I I was, yeah, I've explained this a little bit in uh, in an episode that I recorded recently on the Redefining Human podcast, um, just talking about my name. I have been very embarrassed about my name for a very long time because it's so different. And when I was growing up, I stood out. My parents lived off grid. I was bullied in school. I came to school and just was different than many other people. Um, and I chose to write my name down as Wahia Berg using my mother's maiden name so that there wasn't so much of a focus on sort of who I was and why I was different. And it wasn't until grade 12 that I really started accepting my name. And ever since then, I've felt very proud of it um, because it's, it is different. It stands out. It's a conversation starter, but it also provides me sort of a, a reference point for who I want to be because I ultimately determine what young wolf singing in the time of change means. I have a lot of very um, polarizing opinions and perspectives um, in terms of the potential of humanity that go against the pessimism that is often formed and sustained by society. And I can choose to avoid representing myself as who I want to be, or I can step into that fully. And that's what I'm choosing to do. So I'm very proud of my name now. That's a beautiful story. Thank so you. your parents knew your des destiny. <laughs> Perhaps. Some, pe um, yeah. some people change their name when they grow up, but you kind of grew into the name. Yeah, yeah, I guess so. I guess so. And I'm still growing into it. I only really found out what the actual definition was um, a couple of years ago. I used to think it was coyote sings in the meadow is kind of this sort of transient, uncertain thing. And then uh, my mom and I were trying to look it up on Google before she found the paper that had my name written down on it and the Cherokee translation. Um, and the translation that we found online was limping wolf. And I was like, oh, God, <laughs> limping wolf. No, <laughs> no, not good. No. But fortunately, it, it is not limping wolf. <laughs> What is it for you singing, singing, uh, young singing wolf? What is it for you? Mm. Yeah, so it, it changes and it has changed significantly. Um, I used to be very musically oriented. I love singing and I played violin when I was young um, and just really enjoyed sort of melody and developing sound in a sort of harmonious manner. I think it's a great creative expression. So that was my application when I was younger. But recently, I've started to emphasize my communication development. And I think language is an incredible tool that we can use to create change, to share ideas. It's literally the process of inhaling oxygen and then expelling it through our, our, our just the structure in our throat and vibrating the voice box at the perfect level in order to shape and mold sound to paint our perception into reality. It's, it's incredible. Um, so I guess Young Wolf Sings is now 
sort of just expressing ideas clearly and in a way that is sort of poetic in nature that inspires people to think about things differently. And change their minds. <clears throat> yeah, right? if they choose to, totally. More empower them to realize that they can. Because once you know that you can, change is inevitable. I can't that's change people, but I can inspire them too. Wow, that's, that's very good. I like it. Um, so why or what got you involved uh, in climate mm. or environment? What is it for yeah. you? Why are yeah. you here? <laughs> why am I here? <laughs> what is the meaning yeah. of life? <laughs> um, <laughs> I, uh, I've been deeply integrated into sort of a connection with the ecosystem and the planet for my entire life. Um, when I was young, my, my mother and I, I basically lived out of a backpack and she hitchhiked. Um, sort of from house to house during the first year of my life um, throughout British Columbia and specifically on the West Coast. And then she moved to a small island called Cortez um, when I was around one and a half and met my dad, who was um, taking a biodynamic apprenticeship course at um, like an organic school slash farm slash market garden um, on Cortez. And... Um, I spent a lot of time just in the soil and walking through so the woods. Sephora Berman was... lives on in Cortez Island. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Very interesting so connection. Um, I don't know her personally, but <laughs> it's a very small community. Um, yeah. But yeah, I've, I've, I've been deeply involved in just connecting with the soil and eating dirt and playing with animals and walking through the woods. Um, And I've always had a deep appreciation for it. But um, more recently, I started to accept and realize, specifically, actually, when I was living in Calgary um, in 2018, I was sort of in a position where I was feeling really lost and unsure about life, frustrated with the way that the world was heading and just feeling very disempowered. I was in a really dark space and I was just attacking myself constantly in my mind. And I was scrolling through Facebook kind of meaninglessly and came across a video of Greta Thunberg. And she was speaking um, as she does. It was one of her earlier videos. And she was just very clear and very honest about the climate crisis that we're currently facing. And for my entire life, I've sort of aimed to have a minimal impact on the planet. And that's sort of shown up in a variety of, of ways. But when I saw the video of Greta... And just saw how fearless she was, how honest and open she was. It's like, if she can do it, then there's no reason that I should be sitting in a basement in the dark on my computer wishing that my life was different. I can change my life and I can choose to work towards something meaningful. So I moved out of Calgary and back into the Kootenays. And I went to a one-month uh, karma yoga retreat at the Yashodra Ashram, which is just across from Balfour near Nelson, British Columbia. Um, And I did a presentation there, one of the first sort of talks that I had done. I did a presentation on the climate crisis and put together a bunch of different articles and stuff. I'm very analytical. I love science. I love, uh, well, I love information in all of its expressions, but I love piecing things together and synthesizing them and boiling them down to present to other people in sort of a distilled and digestible fashion and did a presentation For the Ashodra Ashram, I was so nervous and I was shaking. But once I started talking to them, I just sort of fell into this flow state and absolutely loved it. And um, 
afterwards, I went back to my parents' place, and then one of the founders of the Fridays for Future Nelson group um, reached out to me and asked if I could do uh, a talk for them. I'd been very vocal on Facebook, and they'd found my posts, so I came out here and did a talk. And again, I was shaking. I was so nervous. And uh, uh, I may have gotten the timeline mixed up. I may have done that before the Ashodra Ashram. But regardless, I realized yeah. that I had the capacity to to talk to people and to communicate and to sort of begin better understanding this message and helping other people understand it. And ever since then, it's just been this acceleration process. We, we did the Nelson wow. climate strike in September of last year, or I guess two years ago now, and had around 10% of the population show up, which was one of the largest strikes relative to the, the local population in Canada. Um, we went down to Vancouver as a group and met Greta Thunberg and David Suzuki and a couple other figures within the climate space. And yeah, it's, it's just been this incredible journey ever since. Um, but ultimately, wow. my realization has been that the foundational life support system on our planet is at risk due to human behavior. And this is a problem that is incredibly controversial because it is so significant. And at the foundation of human biology, we have this coding within our genetic structure that is just survive and replicate and pass genes to the next generation. And we have all of these different senses and behaviors that have been wrapped around that prime objective that kind of inspire and increase the chances of laziness and apathy. And I think ultimately that's just a reference to the the programming that we have that we've sustained and unfortunately we've continued to just run on autopilot some studies are starting to cite that 95 percent of the decisions that we make on a daily basis are habitual and the five percent that aren't are due to sort of random chance exposure yeah. to change that we aren't accustomed to and eventually that becomes a habit as well um and so like the climate crisis isn't the the, the big problem really it's it's an expression within an energetic system based on the lifestyles that we're currently accepting and living the the choices that we're making on a daily basis and i often say that the the state of the world the human world and the repercussions on the ecosystems around us are the result of individual actions multiplied by the collective and so change occurs when individuals start to perceive their lives and their identities as being malleable and realizing their potential and then making different decisions and that inspires people collectively to start shifting the direction that we're heading in and that's that's what i want to help inspire but i also want people to realize <laughs> that we don't have a lot of time we don't have a lot of time to change we don't have a lot of time to adapt and that is really scary but we are more than capable of changing everything we need and the side effect of changing is that we resolve the majority of the problems that are currently preventing us as a species from thriving. Yeah, that, that, that's beautiful said, really beautiful. <clears throat> and, and I agree with you that uh, climate is a manifestation of, of the core problem, right? Yeah. Not, uh, yeah, that's a really good way to put it. Um, so I want to say you felt lost and unsure and mm. And you find a way to get out of there. What? And then you said Greta, like seeing Greta. But what? What did you see there? Mm. That was 
or do you use what you see there? Do you do the same thing or do you do something else? What did you find out maybe for yourself that work, works for you now in, with inspiring people? Mm. Mm. Um, in terms there's of so communicating many people, with them? Yes, because so many people are lost. Yeah. So many people are unsure. Yeah, so yeah. many people, right? They don't know what to do yeah. with that and it's overwhelming. Totally, totally. So when I saw Greta, I was mainly inspired by her fearlessness. And she's mentioned many times in, in her, her documentary that was released recently that throughout the process of her journey, which really over two years, she became one of the most publicly recognized faces on the planet. And she, when she first started, I think she was just turning 15. And so her example of standing in front of people and saying something controversial, regardless of the reactions, because she understood the necessity of recognition of this fundamental issue just inspired me in such a such a massive way because i'd been living limiting my life i've had these dreams and aspirations since the day that i started walking um to just become something but i've been limiting myself significantly because of how i think people might view me and this is one of the primary concerns and fears within the human psyche is ostracization, being recognized as different and kicked out of the group. But I think we need to start understanding as individuals that we don't need external validation in order to be ourselves. We don't need the public opinion about us to be supportive because generally speaking, the public only supports that which they're comfortable with. And if we continue moving forward with what we're comfortable with, we're going to go extinct as a species. And so with Greta, when she was speaking, I was just incredibly enraptured by her courage and realized that if she could do it, I could as well. And my messaging isn't in the same light as her. She's very focused on the climate emergency. She's very focused on the science and just getting people to accept the science. But I want to empower people to be able to understand things instead of just accepting what other people say, which I think a large percentage of the climate science is very relevant and very accurate and very well informed. Um, but I don't just want to tackle that issue because like you said, it's a manifestation of the core problem, which is the way of thinking within humanity. And that, that is what needs to change because that will change everything. So how do you do that? Inspiring people, allowing them to how realize that they can. Having conversations, I think, is one thing. I've, I've talked to a lot of people, and it's amazing to see the impact that just a sort of open expression can have on a closed mind. And um, recently as well, in, in conversation, people have sort of found my perspective um, almost refreshing, which I, I've never really understood. But I, I actually spoke to somebody who sounded like me. Um, when I was like 19 or 20, just very optimistic and empowered. And after having conversations with people who weren't expressing themselves like that, I was like, oh, shit, <laughs> this is how it feels to talk to me sometimes. And if that's the <laughs> impact that honest and open communication can have, then that's incredible. But the benefit about the way that I think and the way that I communicate is I'm actively changing how I perceive myself and the world around me. And because of that, I'm releasing these limitations that I've set around myself. And so if I can live courageously and honestly and openly and talk about things that I'm scared to talk about and set an example, then maybe I can provide people permission to do the same. Because I'm a big fan of Alfred Adler 
who is a psychologist alongside Sigmund Freud and Carl Jung. And one of the statements that he said that is incredibly profound is um, at any point in time, we can choose to be whoever we want. But the reason that we don't is because we lack courage. So he's essentially saying we have everything within our power to transform ourselves. But the reason we don't is because we lack courage. And in order to develop the courage, we often need a reference point. It's, it's like the four minute mile. Before, I forget the guy's name, but before he ran the four minute mile, people thought it was impossible. And then a week after he ran the four minute mile, his record was beat. And it's just been going down ever since. Mm. We, we need a reference point to understand that there are no limitations. And once somebody sets an example that we can then strive towards surpassing, um, the acceleration of growth is, is inevitable. So in a way, this is what Greta did to you. Exactly. Exactly. She I'm just carrying the baton. And... Totally. Amazing. So, so let's dive into, give me some examples of good conversations and then maybe mm. conversation that it doesn't work. Totally. <laughs> totally. Yeah. Um... Maybe, they, may, may, maybe focus on, did you, did you help people see like the people that, um, um, there, there is different kind of people that coming to those uh, strikes, right? Oh yeah. Maybe maybe say something general and then we can choose what we want to focus on. Okay. So who is the people that are coming to the strikes and what kind of specific like different kind of conversation you have and yeah. then Yeah, so there there seem to be sort of two, well I guess three sort of categories of people and and by category I just mean like a, a placeholder for a spectrum. Um three categories that I've noticed at strikes, one being people who are informed to a certain degree about the climate crisis and want to be involved in being a part of the solution. Um, the second being people who are completely opposed to the idea of the climate crisis and want to show up to tell us that we're ridiculous and that we shouldn't be standing outside shouting because there isn't a problem. And the third being people who aren't informed but aren't opposed and are just curious to see what's going on. And then within each of those spectrums, you'll have somebody who comes to the strike and says, you guys don't really know what you're talking about, or everyone here is an idiot and I'm going to try and start a fight. Um, you have somebody who comes and is like, I don't know too much, but I'm willing to support. And someone who's, I'm going to ride or die for this and I'm here to do whatever it takes. And then the individuals who are sort of varying degrees of curiosity, questioning with a lot of desire to learn um, and others who are just there to observe. So there's a wide range of people, but those are sort of the three categories that I have noticed most. So um, the most interesting uh, for me is the people that oppose it, come and shout mm. and want to change you the, mm. the other way around. Is there people from the industry or are there people that like, how, what would, what can you say about them? Yeah, I think it's, uh, I imagine and I don't want to generalize too much. Um, I imagine that at the foundation, it's just people who are sort of fearful for some reason. There are people within industries like the, the fossil fuel, oil and gas, um, people within construction and like many other aspects of industry that is sort of contributing to the problem. Um, one of the major ones that has been overlooked for a very long time is the animal, animal agriculture industry. Um, but we have the, the forestry sector and like every perceivable industry um, who are just afraid of losing their jobs or afraid of the impact that it might have on their livelihood or well-being. Um, and there's there's a term that I was playing with earlier today 
if I can remember it, it's a sort of past projection bias. And I don't know if this has been coined yet, but if it hasn't, we have a tendency as a species or as individuals to try and predict the future based upon past circumstances. And over the course of our lives, we absorb all of these bias and this conditioning from society and external influence that is generally pessimistic and more detrimental to our health and well-being than otherwise. And that's a survival tactic because it's it's healthier to, to just assume that there's a bear in the woods that's trying to eat you at night and to run from it than to be wrong and get eaten. Um, but we live in a world where the majority of the concerns that we've adapted to don't exist anymore. And we have this massive influx of stimulus. And this is sort of the second part to answering that. There are people who don't necessarily have a tie to the way that the world works currently, but just have distrust and this massive influx of information through social media and news, which is primarily driven by a desire to get views. And this results in the forming of opinions that may not be soundly based in reality, but are incredibly polarizing and high energy. Um, distrust so there are in some what? people. Distrust in humanity, distrust in the government, distrust in groupthink, distrust in society at large, people who at some point have been hurt or feel like they've been hurt by the, the world and don't want their freedom and liberty to be taken, which is totally understandable because nobody wants that. Um, but to live in a state of constant paranoia, I would say is more disempowering than engaging with the system that might be taking advantage of you. Because if you so now you're are talking living a little in a state bit of about the conspiracy people. Exactly. Yeah. A lot of conspiracy. Yeah. Yeah. And conspiracy is a and, weird word. And you say the conspiracy um, concerning climate? Yeah. Conspiracy concerning climate, but concerning everything. Because I think a lot of people that have shown up as well and have told us we, we shouldn't be doing what we're doing are saying it from a place of there are bigger problems like 5G or the Illuminati or alien invasions or like solar activity or we're in a on a flat earth that is being manipulated by these people on the top of the hierarchy and it's it's just yeah. it's overwhelming but it's fundamentally it's disempowering because a lot of this information isn't referenceable a lot of it is just sort of developed by just theory and projection and the result is a lot of people are living in a state of of constant paranoia yeah so the, you we have two two groups very interesting the, the people mm -hmm. that have the distrust in the whole systems mm -hmm. and, and living in paranoia and the people that, that comes in and they're maybe from the industry and they're feel, mm -hmm. fearful uh, uh, for, for the future. How yeah. do you, I guess, can you give an example? Yeah, of something um, that an, an example in my experience or? Like somebody that came and it was a big shouting or something like, like a real mm. drama. <laughs> and how did yeah. you work with that and what happened there? Yeah, yeah. Um, there were a couple moments in Vancouver and in Nelson. I think we, we haven't had a lot of experiences like that. There have been some people that have started conversation and conflict, but it's been resolved really quickly. Um, but there were a couple people in Vancouver who were pretty physically aggressive. Um, mm. And when we went down, um, I was part of a trust circle for Greta. And we were surrounding her and many occasions occurred where people would try and break through the circle in order to give her a hard drive with sort of information backing up certain conspiracies or just people upset and angry and shouting 
Um, but fortunately, we had the the network there to prevent any physical violence from occurring. Um, and there was also just a huge crowd. So I think people realize that if you upset a crowd, things can get messy really quickly. Yeah. Yeah. But this is not a conversation. No. So True. Yeah, you asked for examples. So something that happened in the... Um... Um, when somebody come to you and, and told you mm-hmm. what are you, you, sh- you shouldn't mm-hmm. do what you do, like you said, yeah. do you have an example yeah. like that? Yeah. Yeah. I guess, um, one experience that stands I th- out. I think it um, would be interesting to people to hear mm-hmm. because, um, this is something people are afraid those from those conversations. Okay. Totally. People avoid those conversations. And when you, they have mm-hmm. some tools, how to, how to tackle that, mm-hmm. you know, certainly how to deal with that. Totally. Totally. Yeah, um, there have been a couple of occasions where people have approached me sort of aggressively and have told me that I shouldn't be doing what, I've, what I'm doing. A lot, a lot of them have been correlated more to conspiracy than industry. But um, when I was in Calgary and I spoke to people, there was a lot of industry talk. And I think that's indicative of sort of the, what's going on within the community. Um, and yeah, I... What is industry talk? Um, oil and like gas. Term. But yeah, what is the talk? Uh, the talk is you're going to take away people's jobs. This is unfair. You have no right to be doing this. You don't understand what you're talking about. This doesn't actually exist. This isn't happening. The science indicates otherwise. Um, yeah, those are sort of the primaries. Um, yeah. So concerns yeah, I, I, about the job and, and that even the, mm-hmm. the reality of, of climate. Yeah, exactly. If it's true or not true. Yeah. How, what do you do? Yeah, um, depending on the individual, I love having conversations like that. I really enjoy the process of engaging with somebody who is upset because it provides an opportunity to sort of navigate a difficult environment and it's an adaptation stressor for me um i used to get really nervous around people but i've come to understand that when people react in a way where they're expressing some sort of extreme energy in in any form if it's anger if it's frustration if it's sadness it is based on fear and if you can identify that fear or help the person to identify the fear that they're experiencing without outright saying you're acting really anxious or you're acting really angry um it can often provide a a reference point for them or an opportunity to sort of step back and realize, oh, like I'm being a person that I don't really want to be. What is my intention in this conversation? Should I start acting differently or should I just end the conversation entirely? And and the second part has happened many times because quite often people aren't willing to dive deeper or to use that as like almost a meditative opportunity. Um, But the individuals who do, I've found the conversations don't always end with us agreeing but they always end with some sort of gratitude or at least a, a de-escalated situation. We both walk away relatively calm and feel like it was a productive conversation. So what happens in the conversation? They yeah. come, they start with shouting and then you're getting, you're not triggered because you understand they're, they're, they have some fear inside mm-hmm. and you're not reacting yeah. on the fear. What do you do? Yeah. Internally um, and s- externally. <laughs> <laughs> right? Um, it's happening well, both sides. Totally. T- 
Totally. And it, it, it varies. And like if someone comes at you super aggressively, like you're going to react physiologically at first. Autonomic system is going to kick in. You're going to go into some sort of fight or flight mode. But the best way to access and redistribute the, the allocation of energy within the autonomic nervous system is, is breathing. So that's the first thing that I focus on. And then I just try to listen to what the person is saying. Like I, I, won't, I won't even try to interrupt them or break into the conversation. I just want to hear what they're saying, get an understanding of why they're attacking me or what they're saying exactly. And if, if there's a loophole or sort of a, an inconsistency in what they're saying, then I'll use that as an opportunity to say, like, for example, if somebody's talking about carbon and carbon emissions, um, and they say, like, carbon isn't actually a problem that provides food for plants. And the more carbon we have in the atmosphere, the better it will be because plants will flourish. Um, I can use that as an opportunity to engage them and say, you know, I noticed this. Where, where did you find that information or where did you hear that? Um, and if they tell me the source and it's something I recognize or even if it isn't something I recognize, I can follow with this claim isn't exactly true. And I can tell you why. Would you like me to? And at that point, they can choose to continue to attack me and belittle me, but then they're just moving into attacking me as an individual because I'm just representing information. I'm not actually forming the information. I'm just here as a messenger. Um, but fundamentally, my intention with that would be to help them get into a position of, of self-empowerment and curiosity. So how do you think, um, what helps them move from the fear situation and anger? They're angry, mm -hmm. shouting at you, and they're underneath mm -hmm. there is a fear. Mm -hmm. And they shift from knowing there is more information. You think they didn't know there is more information before? Like I'm sure the they did. Okay, so what, no, what's definitely the difference? Not. Definitely not. The difference is my reaction, how I'm responding. Because if I respond in turn, I'm just going to escalate the situation. Energy can either be changed or or energy can't be created or destroyed, it only changes form. So if I respond with comfort, if I sort of breathe in, that will allow me, and if, if you were to visualize it, like imagine somebody comes up to you and there's just this burning ball of flame around them. And as they shout at you, they're shooting flame at your face. Like you can respond like you're on fire, which most people would, because that's terrifying. Or you can breathe in deeply and you can absorb the flame and you can cool it down. And then you can respond with a, a slightly lower temperature. And I say lower temperature because like if someone comes at you 50 degrees Celsius and you respond at 10 degrees Celsius, like that's incredible. You're probably a superhero because I don't know many people who can do that. But if you breathe in deeply and instead respond at 40 and then they respond at 35 and you respond at 30 and it just continues to go down, you can eventually get back to the resting body temperature of 32 degrees where both people are relatively calm. And that is the opportunity for growth. That's where you can really start to understand the person. Um, but reacting like you're on fire is very unproductive and it's going to ruin your day. Nice. So the most important thing that you do is being non-reactive, breathing, mm -hmm. like the technique mm -hmm. is breathing, being non-reactive and letting them express everything they have to say. Yeah. And being letting curious them about express, it too. Express, being curious and finding yeah. the loopholes eventually to open a meaningful converse conversation is, is the loopholes mm -hmm. in in their perception? Perception, totally. Yeah, and I've, I've found a lot of benefit in explaining things from a, a system's point of view. So if somebody is referring to the carbon in the atmosphere, then I, I could go about explaining like the classic 
experiment where you put greenhouse gases into a tank and the temperature increases, or I can explain the system in its entirety as simply as possible. We have an atmosphere that regulates temperature and pressure on this planet. When you increase the amount of carbon dioxide in the atmosphere, it limits the amount of essentially planetary respiration, the heat that can leave the planet's atmosphere. So it will result in an increase, but it's not just the increase in temperature that is the issue. It's the underlying impact resulting from the carbon leaving the soil, the air pollution, the carbon entering the atmosphere and the resulting increase in temperature and the, the ramifications that it has on the planet as a whole. We need to recognize things as systems in order to understand the relevance of these individual constituents, because if we just look at these individual things as the problem, which is the tendency of humanity, and it's one of the ploys of politics. Everybody's suffering for some reason. I'm going to run for office and I'm going to say this is the cause of your problems. Hitler said it was Jewish people. Um, and Donald Trump said it was Muslims and the Mexicans. And generally we point at each other or we point at systems saying like, this is the issue when the issue is internal. Um, and if we can recognize the system, then we can understand the place of the problems that we're experiencing and the place that we have in developing solutions to those problems. And then that changes them entirely from a problem to an opportunity for growth, which is a very empowering place to be. Yes. So the empowerment, say it again, the empowerment is, uh, say it again. The empowerment, empowerment is understanding the system as a whole mm. and okay. understanding, it, it essentially gives context to something. Like if, if, if someone's running down the street naked, screaming at the top of their lungs and you just see a snapshot, you're going to think that person's insane. But if you understand the context in which they were running down the street naked screaming, it's easier to sort of normalize the experience and understand the flow that resulted in that situation. And it's the same thing with carbon emissions. It's the same thing with forest fires. It's the same thing with the logging sector, the mining sector, oil and gas, animal agriculture. If we choose to sort of focus our attention on one specific aspect, like let's say cows burping methane as being a massive issue, people are gonna think that's ludicrous. There is science to back up the issue of the methane emissions, but it's not just that. It's also the fact that it takes so much energy to raise livestock. It's the fact that it takes an immense amount of space and land and resource, the chemical pollution that is resulting from it, the destruction of... Exactly. Well, yeah, the destruction of ecosystems, the displacement of organisms. Our planet is comprised of ecosystems. Ecosystems are a collection of organisms, plants, animals, bacteria, fungi, etc., and they've evolved over the course of hundreds of millions of years, 540 million years roughly since the Cambrian explosion, to form this dense network that is interdependent and interconnected. It's essentially an energy exchange network. And if one point within the system is compromised, the structural integrity of the system is compromised. And it will take hundreds of millions of years for things to rebound. Different organisms are a pool of genetic diversity. Every single individual organism has a completely different genome, completely individual to that organism. And if that genome is destroyed, if that species goes extinct, it's never going to come back. And the vital functions that that species performs and provides will never come back. They will have to be filled in some way. And nature doesn't adapt as fast as we destroy it. Yeah. And that's what we need to start respecting and appreciating. Why are you 23 years old? 23, yeah. I'm turning 24 in May. Congratulations. I'm, I'm turning 14 <laughs> in, in three days. <laughs> oh, congratulations. Thank you. Um, so 
I I want to know what the struggles like you know um do you think should I have kids with this kind of word should I what should job should I do like struggles that you but maybe your your age group is also struggling with what mm. should they do in life and what life will be in the in a climate situation when everything is getting mm. uh, warmer so much um a year and a half ago I signed a contract that was shared throughout a network called climate strike Canada um, is a network founded by youth very similar to Fridays for future but just a Canadian sort of version and the document was people agreeing to not have children until we can guarantee a livable future wow. so I've signed the documentation and I haven't really thought too much about having children in the past but it wasn't until I signed that that I really started to think about it and it is something that I I would love to do. I would also love to adopt as many kids as I can because there are millions of children who are suffering and don't have homes. Um, but I don't want to bring a new life into this world until I can guarantee that that life can thrive, until I can guarantee that that child can strive toward achieving their potential. And I think it would be incredibly unfair to do otherwise because you're essentially just putting them in a position where they're You'll have to raise them with the understanding that they aren't going to live as long or be able to do the things that they desire because we destroyed the world before they had the opportunity to. Ouch. Yeah. How many people signed this? Eh? <laughs> I, I haven't looked at it recently, but I think wow. it's in the thousands now. And yeah, Is it was it worldwide or it's I... just Canada? Yeah. It is worldwide. I think there are a couple different forms. There's a different one in the US and I think quite a few circulating in Europe, but it was showing up on the news and it was something that was really controversial because people were saying this is ridiculous and an entire generation is stating they're not going to have children. What are they doing? They're not thinking clearly. Um, I think like we're thinking clearly the most <laughs> or clearer yeah. than many. Yeah. And, and yeah. you're thinking in terms of system, in terms of... This is one person, yeah. but it's part of a whole exactly. situation. Exactly. And that, that's something that um, indigenous people people's... It's very hard have... to, to think in these kind of terms. Totally. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. I'm <laughs> um, for much of my life, I've been looked at as different. And now I appreciate that I was and am because it, it's refreshing to look at things from a systems level. It's so easy to get caught up in the minutia of life, but... The analogy that comes to mind is like a stick that is floating down a river can get caught in a whirlpool and spin in circles and think it's still moving. But if it had the ability to see itself from a vantage point above the river, it would realize that it's spinning in circles. And like that's what we're doing on the, the individual level. And I've trained the ability to sort of perceive reality from that vantage point that is a bit higher than just my my day-to-day experience. And it's refreshing and relieving because in the moments where I'm frustrated with the state of humanity and... I feel despair and distrust and which like it comes and it goes, I can remind myself that things are bigger than just me. Things are bigger than just humanity and things are going on that are impossible to comprehend. And ultimately, the state of the world is driven by momentum. And the momentum that has generated the climate crisis and social inequality and disparity and racism and sexism and violence and hatred and bigotry and... All of the other issues that we're currently experiencing it's a result of momentum and we can choose to continue to ride the momentum that has been generated by people that we will never know because they died thousands of years ago or we can start investing and shifting the momentum to create a world that we desire to live in you 